0: Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe.
1: This is Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God every time I remember you. to the glory and praise of God. Amen.
2: to Redeemer Lincoln Square this morning. Uh, As Andrew said, um, I am Eric Lipscomb. I work as a campus pastor for undergraduates. Uh, I work alongside Andrew. He works with graduate and international students. Um, I have the privilege of serving undergrads uh, up at Columbia. Uh, If you're here and you are a new university student uh, at Columbia or somewhere else, uh, let me just give you a particular welcome. We're so glad to have you with us today, whether you're, I guess, here in person, maybe if you're online, uh, you woke up a little late, I don't know, whatever. We love you still. but we want you to know that uh, we want to help you plug into community if that's something that you want. And so uh, if you would like to know more about that, um, we have RUF chapters across the, the, uh, the city. Um, please come find me after the service. I'd love to tell you more about that and help you connect with some of our staff uh, who are wonderful and who are all over the city. So, um, yeah, we just want to welcome you and care for you, and we're really glad you're here. Um, So these last few weeks here at uh, Redeemer Lincoln Square, we have been going through uh, sort of a mini-series to prepare for our fall together. Uh, We've been going through this thing called relearning communal habits, right? And and, and if you've, you've, you know, taken a moment to open uh, the internet, uh, you know that much ink has been spilled by pundits and uh, experts about how the pandemic has impacted us all relationally, right? There has been an increase in loneliness, uh, in tiredness, in disconnection. Right? But I'm sure that you don't need to read a New York Times article to describe the social impact of COVID, right because you are living it. right You have experienced the endless zoom calls, right? You've experienced the canceled family gatherings, the deferred family celebrations, the you know, maybe you, had, uh, you got the privilege of enjoying some time in quarantine, I don't know, uh, whatever it is. Uh, I'm sure that though, even as we are all now looking forward to continuing to move forward together. The reality is that our relational muscles have atrophied. And so we need to relearn how to live together as the church, as the people of God, as his family. Um, But one of the things I also hold to be true is that, you know, uh, there's this thing called social inertia. Uh, Objects at rest will tend to stay at rest unless they are otherwise acted upon. And so, um, you know, what is it, I was thinking this week, what is it that's going to enable us to move out of the state that we've been in in this recent season? Well, today, what I want to suggest is that the Apostle Paul is going to be a great help to us. That, that at the beginning here of his letter to the Philippians, he is going to impress on us the, uh, not just the need for, but the joy that is found in life, in community, in the body of Christ. Right? That this isn't just something that is like a duty or an obligation for us or a, or a burden. Um, that, that life together in the body of Christ is actually the path to knowing God more deeply and therefore the path to experiencing a more deep and lasting joy. Uh, Now, I've I've lived here in New York for about eight years now. Um, That is not uh, too, too long, uh, but it is long enough, I think, to observe the fact that in this place of amazing things and great excess, uh, there is often a significant lack of joy. Right? When I say joy, I mean just like a deep and abiding contentment. Right, one that is not tied to where your circumstances are at in that particular moment. Right, New York is full of fleeting pleasure, full of transient happiness. Right, I think of uh, you know the, the Pharrell anthem "Happy." If you you know you can clap along with the minions. Uh, there's a lot of fun things to do here. Uh, and yet, as transient happiness abounds, there is a sad lack of lasting joy. Right, and maybe you can relate with that. Maybe you're w- walking in today feeling just the sense of frustration with life. Right, maybe you're walking in with the weight of disappointment on your heart. Right, maybe you're just bored. You're feeling ambivalent with where your life is at, with where your faith is at. But what Paul wants to show us from Philippians is that a deep and abiding joy is offered to you in the gospel, in this message and substance of Christianity that is lived out together. And it's important to know that when Paul writes this, he's not writing from the ivory tower of a theologian. He's writing from a prison cell. He is writing from jail, as he mentions in verse 7. And yet over and over again, throughout the four chapters of Philippians, what we see is that Paul is overflowing with joy. It is a significant theme throughout this whole letter. And in these verses right here at the beginning, we get a sense of what that is going to look like for our joy to grow and to abound. And so how is that going to happen? Well, I think Paul is really helpful. Sometimes it can be helpful to speak to people or listen to people who come from a different era than our own. Um, Because I think, as I think about what does it it mean to follow joy or pursue joy, I can tend to think of that as a personal endeavor or an individual thing that I tackle on my own, right? And the the idea sort of has come to us culturally in, in this day and age that if I just go my own way, if I follow my heart, then the sort of pot of gold at the end of that rainbow is going to be... Joy, Uh, right? Joy is something to be found on my own as I engage my own passions and interests. And that's not totally untrue. I think there's definitely some truth to that. But what Paul wants to say here is that your joy is actually necessarily bound up in and with other people. Right, let me let me try to illustrate this by, by way of a contrast, okay? So when I was in college, um, I went, uh, or I should say the, the, uh, the Rolling Stones came to uh, my college town, and they put on uh, this incredible concert. Right? We were in the football stadium, and, uh, you know, there were like 60,000 people there. Uh, my roommate and I didn't have tickets. We scalped them for like 20 bucks. Uh, we ended up sneaking onto the floor and so spent the last half of the concert, like, you know, singing our lungs out. Uh, Mick Jagger looks way older in person uh, than he does you know, and this was like 15, 17 years ago, uh, right? But it was, it, it was just such a joyful experience, right? I'm sharing it with my dear friend and 60,000 of my other closest friends, right? <laughs> right, we, you know, Nick and I still reminisce about this to this day, right? But now I want you to imagine this. Imagine that same legendary band, right? The same killer set list, except I'm there by myself, right? I'm, I'm sitting in the stadium and maybe there's like 500 people sort of spread around, um, but the stadium just feels empty. There's not any energy in it right? I mean, I'm sure it still would be fun to some degree, right? Like, but there's no way it would be nearly as joyful, right? The same bands, the same songs, totally different experience, right? Your joy and my joy is bound up with others. It is bound up in one another together, right? And we see that in the beginning of our passage. Again, look at uh, how Paul starts off verses three and four, right? He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Right? He's saying, church in Philippi, I am so full of joy because of you. My Philippian friends, every time I think of you, a deep and welling up joy just comes out of my heart. Right? It's like a smile spreads across Paul's soul when he thinks about his friends, his brothers and sisters in faith. Right? Even the memory of them brings him joy. He's not even with them in person. Right? So we see that joy is not a personal endeavor. It's not an individual assignment. It is much more like a group project. Right? It's not just any group, though. It is the Christian community right, specifically that Paul wants to point us to, the church that is the unique context for the growth of our joy. Right? This is the rich soil out of which your joy will grow. Right? and So how does our, our joy grow in the context of Christian community? Well, briefly today, we'll see two things. Um, I'm not giving you a third point like Michael and, and Bruce normally do. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't apologize. Maybe you're thankful. I don't know. Uh, uh, but we find joy in others through their work of love uh, and through God's work of love. So we find joy in others through their work of love and through God's work of love. Right, so first, we, we find joy in others through their work of love. Right? And, and Paul has already noted in this prayer in verses 3 through 4 where his joy comes from. But when he goes on in verse 5, here's what he, here's what he says. He says, where does it come from? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Right, now that that word partnership in, in Greek is this word koinonia. And uh, it often comes through into our English as something like fellowship. And, um, you know... I was thinking about that. When I hear the word fellowship, I often sort of uh, have a, a fairly watered down context of what that is and what that means. I don't know about you. Um, you know, it's the sort of thing that, you know, you say to maybe a pastor when you're trying to justify just like hanging out on the weekends, you know, like, oh yeah, it was a really good time of fellowship. Um, like, like, it's okay to just hang out. You don't, you don't have to over-spiritualize movie night, okay? Right, like, it, that's, that's good. That's, that's totally good. Right, but the type of, of, of fellowship, the type of partnership, that the Apostle Paul is speaking about here is something much deeper than simply hanging out. Right? He is talking about people who together are significantly invested in showing the love of God out to the world. Right? This is a group of people who have thought and who have prayed and who have worked together to tangibly embody the grace of Jesus Christ among one another and out to others right? They they want to share the gospel with those who don't yet know Jesus. And so Paul is saying to them, he's reminding them, guys, we have been on mission together, right? We have been blessed by our mutual experience of Christ's love, and we have served one another. We have served others. Right now, how have they served others? How have they served one another? Well, in verse 5, again, Paul mentions that this partnership, as he says, uh, has been from the first day until now. And what he's likely referring to is the fact that Paul was there when the church at Philippi was founded. If you, if you go back to the book of Acts in the New Testament, uh, it's sort of like the early church history. Uh, in Acts 16, if you start reading at verse 12, uh, you see that God had leads Paul to Philippi, this Roman military uh, colony in northeastern Greece. And when he's there, he's down by the river and he meets this woman named Lydia. And he uh, shares the gospel with Lydia, and she comes to faith in Jesus. And when Lydia comes to faith in Jesus, she becomes a woman on a mission. She becomes the matriarch of the church at Philippi, right? She runs the church out of her home, right? And it's this beautiful thing, but it doesn't just stop there. It continues to multiply. But what happens to Paul is that he continues ministering in the name of Jesus. He he heals a woman, uh, or young girl, rather, who is uh, demon-possessed. She's being exploited. He heals her. Uh, Her masters get really ticked off at him. They beat him mercilessly, and then they have him and his buddy Silas thrown into jail. And so that night, after they've been thrown into jail, Paul and Silas are there. They're singing hymns to God. What? They've been jailed, beaten. They're singing hymns. They're shackled in chains. They're sitting there and there's this earthquake. The earthquake hits, their chains fall off, the doors fly open, and they're free to go. And the jailer who's watching over this sort of had been sleeping, he wakes up, he sees the doors are open, he assumes that in the dark everyone has fled, and so he goes to fall on his sword because he knows he's, he's a dead man. And before he does, though, Paul and Simon say, wait, don't kill yourself, we are all here, we have stayed. Paul goes, stop, we are here. And the jailer gets a light, and he's stunned. And he says, I can't believe this. Tell me, who who is this God you are singing to? Who is this God you are singing about? And that night, this jailer and his family get baptized. They're welcomed into the family of God. Right? And so as Paul is writing this back to the Philippians, he's looking back at this work of love. Right? It's a work of love in the past. But he also, this work of love continues into the present. Right. Paul had gone from this, this family in Philippi, but they had actually never left him. Right. Even though Paul was far away from them, they continued to support Paul financially. They helped meet his tangible needs, and, and, and they sought to encourage him. And even at this time, he's going to mention this guy, Epaphroditus, who'd been sent as an emissary to care for him. And so for years and years, Paul and the Philippians have been committed partners to the gospel. Right. They've been working out their love together for one another. And the byproduct of that continued love is their joy. And so a question for us, question for each of us, question for us as a community, what would it look like for Redeemer Lincoln Square to be a community known for our work of love? Right, or what would it look like for your family to be known as a community known for our work of love? Or what would it look like for your campus fellowship, for RUF, to be known as a community known for their work of love? But how can we move in that direction? Well, I'm sure there are many ways you can answer that. I think maybe uh, it just starts with a question. Maybe that question is just asking or considering, where have we seen God at work in our midst? Right? Where, where, how can we name and remember what is true about who God is and what he has done for us together? Maybe it starts in looking at someone else and asking, hey, what do you need? Right? We, if you're like me, you are consistently attuned to your own needs. Do you stop to ask and consider the needs of those around you? What do you need? How can I serve you? Right? Maybe it starts with a question. Right? You see, being known for our work of love can, can, can start any number of ways. It can look a lot of different ways. But here's where I think it is rooted. And and Paul gives us an an answer here in verse 7. He says, It's right for me to feel this way about you, this joy, since I have you in my heart. And where where I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me, right? Now, this language of sharing, in other uh, translations, comes through as partakers. Uh, You are co-partners, in this work of the gospel, right? Paul is saying, my feelings of gratitude and joy are legitimate. They are right because we are first and foremost co-recipients together of God's grace, right? We together have experienced the love of Jesus that is unconditional, and therefore we can extend that love out to others and out to the world.
0: At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at q and on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon.
2: Right, and so, what might it look like for us to be known for our work of love? I'll just give you a couple examples that I thought of. It might mean entering into a particularly uh, or a potentially awkward conversation to greet your neighbor. How easy it is in New York to live next door to somebody in their apartment and barely know anything about them, maybe other than their name. Right, maybe you decide to skip Saturday brunch to serve meals to hungry New Yorkers. Maybe you start or you increase your tithing to your church or to other kingdom causes. Maybe it's just something as simple as reaching out to a friend to ask and encourage them with how you've seen God at work in their life. Right? Maybe you take the risk and invite a coworker to church, to a picnic, or a classmate, or whatever. Right? You see, it, it, it is not overly complicated, I don't think. Um, it often starts with something simple, and simple elements like this begin to compromise what I sort of call, and I've heard Michael refer to too, is like a thick gospel community. Right. Now, what do I mean by, by thick, a thick community? Well, I, I think of it like those, um, if you've ever seen those paper towel commercials for like brawny, you know, they are, um, you know, you, you like you soak these multiple, you know, competing paper towels in this blue liquid and, uh, you know, the, the, the store brand one, like you drop a marble through it and just like busts immediately. Uh, but, you know, the brawny paper towel, it's like soaked in water and it's like holding a bowling ball, right? It is, it is thick, it is durable, right? It doesn't disintegrate under stress. Right? And, and Paul is saying that is what our community ought to be like, and that as as co-partners in Jesus's love, right, our work of love should, is going to develop a thickness to our community that would not otherwise be there. Right? You know, thin communities are ones of of um, like shallow affinity. Right? You know, hey, you and I like the same music. Uh, you know, we root for the same sports team. Right? And again, there's nothing wrong with those things, but partnership in the gospel is going to result in this thick community of shared love and of mutual service, right? We are going to be people who bear one another's burdens, who rejoice and delight together. And the result is that our joy, even among people with deep differences, right, our joy is going to grow. And so we find love through the, uh, in others through their work of love. But that experience is, is, is really just a sign, in some ways, pointing us to a greater reality, uh, there's a German pastor and theologian uh, named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he has his book, Life Together. And he puts it this way: It's, it's actually on the front of your bulletin, yeah, if you have that. Um, here's here's what Bonhoeffer says: uh, The prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile sees the companionship of a fellow Christian. Uh, sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the Triune God. Visitor and visited, in loneliness, recognize in each other the Christ who is present in the body. They receive and meet each other as one meets the Lord in reverence, humility, and joy. Right? What, what, what Bonhoeffer, I think, is saying is that in, in others' works of love, in the compassionate presence of a friend, in the, in the companionship of a fellow Christian, right, you actually have a sign that is pointing you to God's ongoing work of love. Right? And really, this is the story of the entire Bible. Right. The, the, the God who existed from eternity past— Right, in perfect and joyful communion within himself, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, decided I don't want to just stay in this in this in this space. I'm in joyful communion, and yet I'm going to extend my love by creating the universe and by creating humanity in my likeness and in my image. But God was perfectly content on his own. He did not have to create anything, but he decided to extend his love to share his joy with the world and with us. And if you remember throughout Genesis 1 through 2, right, God is looking at all of his creation, he's saying, it is good, it is good, it is very good. And then he looks at Adam when he's by himself, and he basically says, it is not good for humans to be alone, right? Everything is good, everything is very good, and yet, in that, Adam's joy is lacking, right? And so he creates a partner for him, right, a a, a (laughs) co-partaker, in the love of God, right? And when Adam meets Eve for the first time, right, what you see is this, you know, first person uh, busts out in poetry, right? This now is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone, right? It's just almost like a beautiful expression of pure joy. But you see, we are fundamentally relational beings, right? We are made to give love. We are made to receive love and to enjoy one another because we're made in the image of a loving and relational God, and so our experiences, our longings for love and from family and friends, uh, actually point us back to the work of a God whose work of love is ongoing. Right? And again, if you look back at our text, right, notice who throughout this passage, God. I'm sorry, uh, Paul is appealing to. Right, he is giving credit to God the entire time. Right, verse three: I thank God every time I remember you. Right, he, he's confident that this work is going to come to completion. Right, in verse six, but he's saying. I'm being confident that he who began the good work, right, that God, that Jesus who began this good work in you, he is the one who's going to bring it to completion, right? His confidence comes from the Lord and not from his own ministry, uh, not from the fact that uh, there's this really tight community there. He's saying God is going to do this work, right? You don't, guys, you know, Philippians, you don't just happen to be a nice, compassionate group of people who happen to click, right? The work of love that is at work among you is a result of, Of what God has started, right? Right. God here is the hero of the story from start to finish, and our confidence is resting in him, right? And then lastly, in in, in this part, in verse 8, he says, for God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ, And affection here doesn't mean like the warm fuzzies or something like that. It it actually is, is this deep and internal passion, right? I think what he's saying is the thing that I, the, what causes me to yearn for you, the, the, the affection I have for you is the affection of Jesus Christ. In some way, it mirrors the affection that Jesus has for you, right? He's saying, what causes me to learn, to, uh, to yearn for you is ultimately this unfathomable depth of the love of Jesus Christ that he has shown to me, right? And if you think back again to the story of the Bible, Shortly after this joyful exclamation we hear from Adam, uh, humanity's rebellion throws the world into chaos, right? It, It wrecks God's lovely creation. It wrecks the goodness. And so now, instead of experiencing joy, instead of experiencing connection and love, we experience frustration. We experience violence. There's pain, right? What is so endemic to our experience of the world is actually not how the world was made to be. And yet, even in the midst of that, right, God never quits loving his creation. He never quits loving his creatures. Or he never quits loving you. But it's also true that just reparation has to be made for the damage that's been caused. But you see, I am culpable for my lack of love. But you are culpable for your lack of love, right? The, the selfishness that brings discord into God's perf- other, once perfect world, Right, the disdain you maybe have for people who aren't as funny as you, who aren't as attractive as you, who aren't as educated as you, whatever it is, right, those things actually hurt God. Right, our, our lack of love for the lost and for the broken, right, those things make God weep. But in the greatest work of love that the world has ever seen, the God who we've offended, the God who we have ignored, came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, right? And after living a perfect life, after going to a brutal death on the cross, after being raised again to new life, right? We can have hope that he died the death that we deserve to die, right? In order to restore our loving relationship with God, right? In order to renew the entirety of his good creation, Right, is saying that is the, again, a, a sh- like my, the affection I have for you is a shadow of that affection that Jesus Christ has. Right? That Jesus Christ would rather die than see you separated from God. Right? Paul has experienced that love for himself and he's saying, look, this is what is on offer for you in the gospel. I love that Andrew started off today. He said, you know, God rejoices over you. Uh, God sings his gladness over you. And, and I was thinking about that. I'm reminded of uh, the song in Hamilton, uh, Dear Theodosia. Uh, maybe maybe you know it or maybe you remember it. If, if you don't, uh, you know, Aaron Burr and uh, Alexander Hamilton, right here, they both had children. Uh, you know, Burr's had Theodosia and uh, I guess uh, Burr's had, I'm sorry, Hamilton's had you know, Philip. And um, they are both so smitten with their children that it moves them to sing, right? This, this ballad of admiration, right? And, and, and when Hamilton gets to thinking of his son, here's what he says, Philip, when you smile, I am undone. My son, look at my son. Pride is not the word I'm looking for. It is something so much more. Right, like Hamilton can't even find the words to express his love for his child. The joy that he has, in his son, the joy that Burr has in his daughter, right? And the incredible thing about the message of Christianity is that it tells us that the God of the universe is smitten with you in some comparable way, times infinity, right? That that God delights in you, that he enjoys you, he sings his love over you, right? That is beautiful, (laughs) And that, I think, is what is going to be enabling us to love others. And so if you get that, then what is the result, right? Even if, if when we receive the abundant love of Christ, then, then here's what Paul prays, right, these, these last few verses. My prayer is that your love may abound more and more, verse 9, more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And, and he goes on, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, right? He's saying, I want your love to abound. But it's not that they didn't have love already, they did. It's that it would grow in expression, that their behavior towards one another, they would be enabled to love one another more and more. Filled with the fruit of your right standing before God, you'd be enabled to love and experience the joy of life and community together. Well, let me just briefly conclude. Um, I promise it will be brief. Um, some of my students are, uh, you know, uh, like pre-med. Uh, they're studying, st- uh, you know, STEM-type stuff, uh, stuff that is way over my head. Um, but what I do know is that some of them do uh, research in labs. And uh, they grow cultures of bacteria, right, to study them and maybe see how, you know, certain medicines impact uh, them. But, you know, the thing is that if, you are, if you're growing a culture of bacteria in the lab and the environment is wrong, right? It's, maybe it's too hot, it's too cold, uh, or there's too much light or not enough light, then uh, it won't grow properly, right? Right, And then maybe the professor gets mad and you've messed up the experiment and you've wasted grand dollars, I don't know, whatever. Um, the point is, right, you need the proper context for growth, right? That is not just true for science labs, that is true for us as humans as well, right? That, that our Christian community is the proper context for our growth as we Look at the work of love of others, and we points us to the work of, uh, and love of God that he has for us. Right, friends, this is a group project. It is not an individual assignment. And so I just want to leave you with this as we walk into the fall together, relearning communal life, relearning communal habits. My hope is that we as a church and we as people individually would aspire uh, to be and have a thick community where joy grows and we humbly receive the grace of Christ and then seek to figure out what does it look like to embody that work of love among ourselves and out in the world. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us as, as uh, we wrap up. Lord God, we uh, thank you so much for uh, the deep and abiding love um, that you have for us. But we thank you for the promise we have that you who have begun a good work in us uh, will bring it to completion, Lord. And uh, I pray that you would enable us to cling to that Um, when we feel we are struggling, when we feel uh, we are not seeing uh, your goodness clearly. Um, Would you help us to be reminded uh, of your work of love? Would you uh, show us the work of love of others, help us to participate in that on our own? Uh, And then also, would you remind us of your grace and your kindness towards us, Lord? Um, Father, we pray that we would be a people uh, who embody your work of love. Um, It can be so easy to go our own way, it can be so easy to uh, get busy and not let these things uh, just land actually with the, in the hands and feet of our lives. So I pray that that would not be true. Um, that this w- these wouldn't just be words on a page. They would actually be informing our hearts and our lives each and every day. Lord, we thank you for your word and thank you for this time together and ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Uh, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.